0: Well, hello Christ Chapel and welcome to worship. If you're joining us online, so glad that you chose to join us at our internet campus and all of our other venues, welcome to you. I hope you had a meaningful time of communion and I just wanna go ahead and say to everyone, we're looking into ways to give you better communion elements so it doesn't sound like nails on a chalkboard as we rip those things open. During this very worshipful moment, it's so hard. We we are so intentional trying to remove every distraction possible for you to just focus on the Lord during a worship service, and I can't do anything about that cellophane. And it just drives me crazy. But we're gonna continue to worship as we take up an offering at all of our campuses. So uh, if you'd like to give, you can certainly give by dropping in a physical offering in one of the boxes right outside of your worship venue, or you can text in the code that's on the screen. It'll send you an easy link for you to give online. Or I know some of you do give online and you do it in an automated way. That's how Jen and I give. And by the way, let me tell you this. I know that the past two weeks during this point in the sermon, I've mentioned to you uh, Shrek, our 2001 Ford Expedition we are not taking up an offering to buy us a new car, all right? (laughs) That's not what we're doing right now. All of your giving is going to kingdom causes, to great ministries. And man, so thankful for all of you, especially that have given to in an automated way where it just comes out. out. It has enabled us, especially during this past year, during COVID times, to do very, very significant ministry uh, during lean times in all of our world. So thank you so much Forgiving. You know, that, that's how Jen and I give. The, the first of the month, everything comes out, all of our all of our tithes and offerings come out. And, and it's very um it's funny to me as I was thinking about that this week because it's really the only part of my Christian walk and worship that's automated. You know, when we talk about giving is an act of worship, it, it absolutely 100 percent is. But uh, thankfully, we have a way where I can automate that, where I, I know that no matter what happens, that money is going to come out, and it's going to go to the Lord, it's going to go to kingdom causes. And it got me thinking this week, I wish all of my Christian life could be automated. Like, don't, don't you wish that your obedience could be automated? Th- think about that. I mean, if, if every time a situation arose, you knew that you were going to automatically do the right thing. Every time you got a free moment during the day, you were gonna pray. A- a- every time you had a-, a conversation or were tempted to say a- an ill word, or be it hopefully not a curse word, that you gave grace and truth. That every time you saw somebody in-, in need, automatically you just went ahead and you gave all the time that you had. Everything, the shirt off your back. You know, it got me thinking, I wish that in some ways my Christian obedience was automated. And not because I I want my Christian life to be rote, because oftentimes what is rote turns rotten, but because it would be right. I want to do the right thing. And I I know you want to do the right thing when it comes to walking with the Lord, doing the right thing. And if we could automate it, then we would know that we would automatically always do the right thing but if we were automated, what would that make us? Robots. And and we're not robots. Even though we want to do the right things, we, we struggle to do those things because we have sin, we have stubbornness, we have pride. And even when we know the right things that we want to do or the right people that we should be, we struggle to do that. I'll give you an example. How many of you have been in a conversation with a spouse or or a friend, a roommate, and you're in an argument about what happened, and all of a sudden, you realize you are wrong? How many of you immediately back up and go, oh my goodness, I am wrong. I am so sorry that we are arguing about this? None of you. Neither do I. I don't understand it, but there's this inner dialogue in my head where I'm going, "Oh my gosh, Jen is right." But I don't want to give her the satisfaction of being right. And maybe if I just continue to argue, I will tire her out. And so I am just going to dig my heels in, even though I'm wrong and continue this argument. And I go, "That is so wrong." Why do I do that? I know what I should do, but yet I struggle to do it. In my mind, there's a part of me that knows this is the right thing to do, but I can't change my mind to, 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 to repent, to turn, to ask for forgiveness, to say that I'm sorry, to say that I'm wrong. I struggle to automate my obedience, and that's why I would go, man, if this was all just automatic, that'd be great but we're human beings. We're, we're not robots. And in a sense, we all struggle to change our minds. And what I want to do today is talk about that very fact. What do we do when we can't change our minds. So if you will open to Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. Today we're actually going to finish our series uh, called What's on Your Mind, where we've been talking about mental health. And I just want to give you a very, very quick review. If you remember, we started off with truth, because if you don't know what truth is, you will have no stable foundation. And we believe truth is found in scripture. God, this is absolute truth, 100% inerrant the word of God. And that's where we started with Dr. Frank Turek. Then the next week we talked about how mental health really is connected to a balanced health, all these different areas where we talked about emotional health, relational health, spiritual health, and physical health. And we kind of broke it up into all those areas based on Genesis chapter one, Luke chapter two, and then the greatest commandment that's found in the various gospels about how we're supposed to love the Lord with all those particular areas of our life. And then last week we talked about the common darkness, the darkness that can be common to us all, that we can all slip into dark places, not only because the sin in our world, sometimes sin in our own life, but there are also psychological factors and situational factors that are at play. That even though we can narrow the cause, we can't contain the effect. Even though you might know why this is happening, it's going to affect all of those four areas that we've been talking about. And we talked about a holistic uh, way to care for mental health. How how should we approach that? But today I want to kind of round out our series talking about what happens when we can't change our minds. You know, some of this series was definitely driven from the things that we've experienced from covid when we were isolated, when you lost your job, when you watched a loved one, a lot of those situational factors that came along that, that had the propensity to drive us to dark places. But some of those effects are going to linger on much longer. And, and sometimes there's hope that, hey, if, if we can continue to find the right treatment, if we can continue to find a balanced life, that maybe we'll, we'll find a, a way that we can be mentally healthy again. But what happens if you can't change your mind. But what happens if no matter as much as I pray, even if I take the right medication, even if I'm doing the right things physically, there, there's still some sort of illness, there's still some sort of disorder in my brain that I cannot change, that will not change this side of heaven. You see, there are many folks, in, in, even in our, our church, that struggle with these things that they can't change their mind about. I mean, we have folks that struggle with personality disorders, and I'll define that for you. Rigid, unhealthy patterns of thinking, functioning, or behaving. That can include borderline personality, schizophrenia, or even OCD. What happens when we can't change our mind about those things? Or or we have folks that struggle with developmental disorders, intellectual disabilities, or even autism or psychological disorders such as Alzheimer's, dementia, or even bipolar disorder. There are, there are real things, even inside our church, inside our community too, that people go, I can't change my mind. So then, then what? what? What do I do? It doesn't matter how I rotate the tires, it doesn't matter how I try to balance them, this is my brain, this side of heaven. What I wanna do today is I want to address that. And I wanna talk specifically first about how I think all of us can relate to the idea that we can't change our minds ourselves so that we can gain a little bit of sympathy and even maybe some empathy for folks who struggle with the ways that they can't change their minds. And then, rather than ending on a way that we can personally give ourselves holistic care, I wanna talk about the holistic care that we can provide as the body of Christ, especially for those who can't change their minds, okay? So we're gonna start off, starting with ourselves, how we can relate to that first by understanding we all struggle mentally to be who we know God wants us to be, which is why we all need Jesus. All of us struggle mentally to be who God wants us to be, which is why we need Jesus. I think if you talk to a lot of folks who said, I can't change my mind, Cody, a lot of them would say, I, I wish it were different. I- I- and you know what? There are many ways where I, I wish my-, my brain was different. And the way that I can relate to that is in Romans chapter seven. In Romans chapter seven, we have this inner dialogue that Paul the apostle is having with himself. And it sounds really odd, but it's all about how he struggles to change his mind. If you look at it, excuse me, it's in Romans chapter seven, verses 18 and 19, and then 24 and 25. Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells within me. Now he's talking about obeying God or obeying the flesh, his, his fleshly desires, what he wants to do. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but instead I do the evil that I do not want, and that's what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, he goes on in verse 24, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, when you're reading Romans chapter seven, Paul sounds like he has some sort of multiple personality disorder, where he's saying, I know the good that I wanna do, and I wish that I could do this. I have every desire to do the right thing, yet I can't. All I continue to do is the stuff that I don't want to do. And it repeats itself over and over and over again. And he ends in verse 25 by saying, Who can save me? Jesus. That's it. That is our only hope. And we as believers, we can relate to this struggle that we know, going back to the example that I said earlier that we know that sometimes we are just sinful and stubborn in ourselves. And the only way that we can do the right thing that we know God has called us to do is through the power of the Holy Spirit through our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the only hope that we have who can save us from our sin, who can save us from our enslavement to obeying those sinful desires. The only one that can set us free from doing the bad things that we don't wanna do is Jesus. He is the only hope that we have. You see, you don't have that power within you. No matter how hard you struggle, no matter how hard you try, you cannot change your mind by yourself. The apostle Paul couldn't change his own mind. That's why he says everything that's in him wants to keep doing evil. Wretched man that I am, who can help me? Who can save me? Only Jesus You see, there's an aspect where you cannot change your own mind. Jesus alone can do it. And by the way, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is the only one that can set you free from your enslavement to sin, your desire to continue to do those things. The only one that can give you hope and a future that you don't have to continue to obey the flesh. You don't have to continue to go down the destructive path that you're going. You have to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. And his salvation to you is a free gift. All you do is accept it by grace through faith. Sets you free. Sets you free. If you don't know Jesus, he is your only hope. But as believers, we know that even when we come to know Jesus, we struggle to still do those right things. We're in this, this period we're called sanctification. And until we see Jesus, we will continue to be sanctified. Our edges will continue to be uh, uh, smoothed out, in a sense, until we see him and we are glorified when we see Jesus face to face, when we're completely remade, which we'll talk about in just a moment. You see, all of us struggle. And I want to start there so we understand and can, can gain some empathy or sympathy for those who can't change their mind. But let me say this, for those who can't change their minds, it doesn't make them any less valuable to God or to the body of Christ. God has a purpose. He has a purpose for all of us because all of us struggle to change our minds. You see, when we can't change our mind, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose. When we can't change our minds, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose. God has a purpose for every one of his creatures, especially for those who are created in his own image, human beings. And we have to understand that God has a purpose for this. Um, I wanna show you this from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Paul again, is in this struggle now. This is a very unique passage because he's had this incredible uh, vision and auditory voice from the Lord. So this is this is certainly unique to the Apostle Paul. But I think what he's experiencing you'll be able to relate to as far as something that hinders him, something that he cannot change that God uses for His purposes. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Verses 7 and 10, it says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, those are the visions and the auditory voice that he heard earlier in that chapter, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, That is the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul has this great vision of the Lord. I mean, he is on the, you know, Christian camp cloud nine. He's had this mountaintop experience. And all of a sudden he has this thorn in his flesh. It's called a messenger from Satan is how he calls it. Now here's what we don't know. We don't know exactly what it is. But what it seems like it is, is something that is chronic. It's something that he's going to continue to live with. Something that he pleads with God three times. God, take it away. It was that burdensome to him. You know, those struggling with mental illness or mental disorders, I know that they plead with the Lord, take it away. I pray, take it away. But sometimes the Lord doesn't take it away. And he leaves it there and it's for his purpose. And he leaves this thorn in Paul's flesh for his own purposes. In Paul's life specifically, it was so that he would not become conceited. Because as long as this thorn is in Paul's flesh, he would have to go back and seek the Lord for his strength and he would have to depend upon him. You see, sometimes, guys, the thorns in our life, and I'm talking generally here, sometimes the thorns in our life, God leaves because if he didn't leave them in our lives, then we would leave him. We would walk away from him if we didn't need him. I mean, come on, you remember the hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. That's why we have to say, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Because we are all prone to leave him and God will never move you to a place where you are independent of him, ever. That's not good for you. So why would he enable you to do that? It's not the best place for you. So he's not going to do that, but he is going to fulfill his purpose for your life, even amidst the thorns. I love how um, one commentator said this. He said, divine power is best displayed against the backdrop of human weakness so that God alone is praised. You see, because against this backdrop of human weakness, against the fragility of our minds that we cannot change. God's power is displayed because he tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Every day, my grace is not only sufficient, but it's also sustaining for you to carry out my purpose in your life because God is not going to waste your life. I think that's such a powerful thing that we have to remember that even amidst the thorns, God is at work. And I can't tell you all the purposes that he has for you. I can't tell you the exact reason why he's left that thorn. But I do know that he's working. See, so often we look at the thorns in our lives as it's something that is our fault, something that is our problem, something that means that God doesn't love us. And those things couldn't be further from the truth sometimes. Sometimes God allows those things to fulfill his purpose. I was reading a, an old Scottish pastor, his name is George Matheson. Uh, it was late 1800s and mid-1800s to early 1900s. And uh, George Matheson, being this pastor, he actually was born with very, very, very poor eyesight. He, he could hardly see. Uh, by the time he ended up going to university, by the time he was 20, he was practically blind, couldn't see. Uh, He had gone through university and ended up going into the ministry, still felt called into the ministry and went into the ministry as a pastor. And I was reading one of the things that he said in his sermon on this particular passage in 2 Corinthians, and it'll come up on the screen because this is just powerful. I I want you to see this. He says, my God... I have never thanked thee for my thorn. I have thanked thee a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorn. I have been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensation for my cross, but I have never thought of my cross as itself a present glory. Teach me the glory of my cross. Teach me the value of my thorn. Show me that I have climbed to thee by the path of pain. Show me that my tears have made my rainbows. what What a powerful passage to thank God for our weakness because when we are weak, he is made strong. When we don't feel like we are sufficient in ourselves, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Because when we feel sufficient in ourselves, we want to separate from him. We want to be independent of him. He's not going to move us to that place. See, God has a purpose for those thorns, and he can fulfill his purpose no matter the fragility that we experience in this life. And sometimes it even pushes us closer to him. But it's not always gonna be that way. Your thorn will not always be there. Man, I just can't help myself. I was thinking of the poison song. Every rose has its thorn. Yeah. That was a bad one. Bad. but there's a day when the roses won't have thorns. And that's the day we all look forward to. We all look forward to the day when God will change what we can't change ourselves. We look for heaven this side of it. And it's not here. It's not here. It's not meant to be here. You see, sometimes the purpose of the thorn is to remind you that you're not home yet. And we try to make this our home. And he goes, no, no, no. If you think this is good, if you think you can make this great, man, you have so lowered the bar for your life. There's something far greater that's coming. And he explains that in Romans 8. And that's why I wanted you to turn to Romans 7 and Romans 8, because we go from Romans 7 where he's struggling, saying, Who can, I, I am a wretched man. I can't, I can't do the good things that I want to do. I wish I could change. Who can save me? Jesus. And then he goes on in Romans 8. In Romans 8, 18, he starts off, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, right now we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption as sons the redemptions of our bodies, and may I also say our minds. For in this hope we are saved. Now here's the hard part. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what, is, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. That is the hardest part. I want heaven now. Now. I want compensation for my cross now. I don't wanna look for rainbows through tears. I wanna see rainbows in Jesus' eyes, face to face. And I know you do too. And so what do we do as we groan inwardly? What do we do as we wait for our minds to be changed, the things that we can't change ourselves? So what I wanna do is I wanna give us as a body, as a church, a holistic approach to care for those who can't change their minds. That might be you, that might be me, but what do we do to help all of us as we wait patiently? Because the only way that I know to wait patiently is if we share the burden. If it all rests on one person's shoulders then they're gonna to struggle to wait patiently. But if we can share that burden, uh, Doug Cecil taught me, a burden shared is a burden halved. When we can share that burden, it lightens the load. And we're called to carry one another's burdens as Paul tells us in Galatians. So what do we do? Because we're all part of this body. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all of us suffer together. And if one member is honored, then we all rejoice together. So if one of us is suffering, we're all suffering together. So how do we help those who suffer with mental illness, with mental disorders, with, all, with the darkness that is so common to us all? How do we help? So I want to give you kind of a holistic view of care. So the first one is this. In the physical realm, share the responsibility of care for one another's practical physical needs these practical needs, share the responsibility of care. And we have folks in our congregation that struggle with Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, What if we just cared for them and we went and mowed their lawn, picked up groceries, took them to a doctor's appointment? Just these very practical needs And see, part of this, this is why early on I told you that one of the goals of this series was just to remove the stigma of mental illness, because we've got to begin having these conversations and understand that it's okay to not be okay, because we can't help someone, and you can't be helped if nobody knows. But it's almost like we keep these secrets as shameful, And, and there's no shame to struggle with this stuff. It's common to man. But we've gotta share those things so that we can share the load and share the burden. If the responsibility of care for all of these practical needs falls on one caregiver, they will be overwhelmed. And I can promise you, if that's you, right now you are probably holding back and fighting back tears because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're trying to put on the pretty face, you're trying to do all of the responsibilities, all the chores, all the care, all the bills, all the appointments, and keep yourself together. My friend, you are part of a body that loves you and cares for you. We want to help with your practical needs. As a body of Christ, part of the holistic care we can do is helping each other care for those practical needs. Second, relational. Offer your presence as the greatest gift you can give. Offer your presence as the greatest gift you can give. Uh, We all know this, but your most valuable resource is what? I'll give you a quiz, I say we all know it, but I'll give you a quiz. What is your most valuable resource? Time, exactly. Time is your most valuable resource. So what is your most precious gift? Your time, your presence. Going and sitting with someone, let me tell you this, in, in my, my hopefully early life in ministry, I pray I have many more years to come. But in my early ministry, I can guarantee you, people remember when you show up. People don't forget it when you show up in a time of need. They will always remember that. And it means the world, and it's meant the world to you. And you know exa- you know some of the situations that I'm talking about where people have shown up in your life. It, your presence means the most. And, it, you're, and showing up and giving somebody a hug, I mean, that goes miles, miles in people's lives and for their own emotional health, for their own mental health. In fact, I was reading a study this past week just on the power of touch In fact, in a power of connection, they said touch is 10 times more powerful than a verbal word of affirmation. 10 times. Now, I am talking about welcomed and appropriate touch, just to be clear, okay? But showing up and putting your hand on somebody's shoulder, that is simple, but that is powerful, In somebody's life, especially when they're struggling, going through a tough time. What if you just showed up and gave somebody a hug? That is a great gift that you can give. And you say, Cody, I have an aunt or an uncle who has Alzheimer's or dementia. They don't even remember. They They don't even remember when I come back the next day that I was there the day before. They don't even remember my name. They will feel you holding their hand. And there, you want to talk about studies. There are studies where their blood pressure goes down just by holding their hand. Guys, he, God has made us a part of a body, <laughs> and relationally, we've got to offer our time. It's our most valuable resource. But why are we given time to fulfill God's purpose? And what is one of God's purposes? Is for us to be the body. That when one suffers, we all suffer together. We all come together and serve one another as the body. But the only way you're gonna do that is not in your own strength, and this leads to the spiritual. Spiritual, draw strength to care for others from Christ's unconditional care for you. Draw strength to care for others from Christ's unconditional care for you. You know, one of the reasons, other reasons why I wanted to start with Romans 7 is uh, not only so we could gain empathy and sympathy, understanding that none of us can truly change our minds, but it takes Jesus, but also because we can understand God's unconditional care for us when we can't change our minds. See, sometimes it's easy to write off someone or to say, that's too difficult of a situation. And you know what God did for us? He didn't say we were too difficult of a situation. He didn't write us off, but instead he showed up. He didn't just give us words. He showed up incarnate, in flesh. Jesus came on the scene and came into our lives. And we've got to draw that strength from him knowing how he's cared for us because he goes on even in Romans 8 after he talks about these present sufferings do not compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And he goes on and he says, what can separate us from your love? Nothing, angels or demons. He even talks about tribulation, famine. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing, even when you can't change your mind. And you know, that unconditional care that God has for you, that's the strength that we draw off of when we unconditionally care for others, knowing that we've been cared for by Him in the same way. And then finally, emotionally, change your mindset from what if to even if, which propels you to praise. Change your mindset from what if to even if, which propels you to praise. And let let me explain. So often when uh, we're helping people that struggle with, it doesn't really matter what it is in life, but obviously we're talking about mental struggles here. We play these what-if scenarios in our heads. And we say, what if this medication works? Then they'd be better. Or what if this treatment works? Then Then they'll get better and everything will be good. Or what if, and we play these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs so much. And here's the problem with playing those what ifs. is because the what if becomes the hope. And what if that doesn't happen? What if the what if never comes to fruition? Does that mean God is any different? Does that mean that God loves you any less? Does that mean God loves them any less? Does that mean his purpose has been thwarted? No. That's why you have to change your what if to even if. And you have to say, God, even if that therapy doesn't work, even if that medication doesn't work, even if this doesn't get fixed, you're still good, you still love us, you're still sovereign, you still have a purpose, you still deserve our praise. Even if... I love, there's an Old Testament prophet Habakkuk that says this, and I I love it. It inspires me. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, which will come up on the screen. He says, even if the fig tree does not blossom, and there's no fruit on the vines, if the yield of the olive fail, and the fields produce no food, even if the flock disappears from the fold, and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet, I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Even if, even if we don't see what we want to see this side of heaven, God is still worthy of our praise. God is still sovereign, God still has a purpose, and he will continue to carry us toward our destiny where we will be redeemed, where our minds will be transformed, where our minds will be changed, where our bodies will be redeemed. That day is coming, and nothing you see here on this earth is going to thwart his purpose. That's why we can say, even if. Man, what a powerful phrase, even if. I don't care, even if, well, well, what if, doesn't matter, even if that does or does not happen, God is still worthy of praise, and I'm still his, I'm his child, I'm loved, and I'm still gonna praise him. I'll close with this poem, Annie Flint, you guys have heard it before, but she says, God has not promised Skies always blue. flower strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, or peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, and light for the way. Grace for our trials and help from above. His unfailing sympathy and his undying love. God, we thank you that even if we don't see the things this side of heaven that we know we long for, part of those longings come from you and what we know is possible in you. And so we desire, Lord God, to see all of those things happen, but I understand, Lord, that we might not see those things happen this side of heaven. And so, Lord God, may we adopt the mindset that even if We don't see those things. You're still good. You're still sovereign. You still care for us. Give us the strength. Lord God, I pray that you would make us a body that unconditionally cares and loves for one another the way that you unconditionally care and love us. That we would be your hands, that we would be your feet, that we would have your heart, that we would have your mind. Lord God, give us a right mind, a mind focused on you.